morning. I want to just uh, bring something to our attention. I, I think most of us know that we have uh, federal legislation regarding medically assistance in dying. And uh, the government wants to expand the definition of who could participate in this to include those that are battling with mental uh, illness. So they've deferred that decision until uh, March the 17th, 2024. So what we need to do is uh, we need to communicate our concern about that. Because how many realize that when people are in a low point in their hearts and minds, they could be asked to have someone assist them in dying. And that would be a great tragedy because how many know when you're in a low point, you have no measure of hope, uh, you're, you're more apt to do that. And so then eventually you can you know, come back out of that and you know, you'll have, well, obviously can't regret that decision, you won't be around. So I, th I think we have to, as a caring, uh, loving community, communicate our concerns. So we have a, this postcard, it's already done for you. How many appreciate that? So you don't even need postage. But if you could just maybe send this out to our uh, the, the federal minister of health, that would tell him there's a lot of people that are concerned about this direction uh, in our country. How many can appreciate This is kind of a significant scenario. So please pick up one of these postcards. And uh, you know, we've all had moments in our life where we've had low points. And so we're concerned about people around us. Let's stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> I do understand why people make decisions the way they do because the Bible says that when we don't have God in our life, we're without hope. But the moment Christ comes into our life, hope begins to well up within us. It's a very beautiful thing. And so I know that times as Christians, we can get discouraged as well. We can have a low point. And I'm aware of that. Great godly people battle depression. I don't know if you know that. Elijah, classic example. Uh, great British preacher Charles Spurgeon battles depression. So we need to understand that that's not because you're not spiritual. It just, some people, that's uh, their battle, their, their challenge in this life. And we all have challenges. And so this morning, if we have challenges, why don't we just lift our hands to God? If you don't personally have one, uh, I'm sure you can think of someone that does. And let's just lift this situation to God that we're even uh, concerned about. So Father, we thank you. You're a God of life. You bring life. You give us eternal life. And Father, we pray today for those, even amongst us today, that might be struggling emotionally. They could be struggling mentally. They could be struggling relationally, physically, financially. There's so many realms in which we battle. We're concerned about our children, our grandchildren. We're concerned uh, about our neighbors, our coworkers. There's people around us that we know. And even those we don't know in our world, Lord, our hearts go out to people in brokenness and we lift them before you. We lift ourselves with our needs before you because you're a God who's a burden bearer. You're a God who cares. You're a God who, who's concerned about every need and we just lift these needs before you, Jesus. We cast them upon you, Lord, because we know you care for us and you have demonstrated that by dying for us. And I pray today that as we hear this message, Lord, that we will draw close to you. Your word says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what we're gonna do this morning. We're drawing near to you. We don't wanna follow you from afar. We wanna follow you closely. And we wanna allow your work of grace to have full sway in our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. You, might, you may be seated. <clears throat> You know, it's interesting, a number of years ago I read a book uh, talking about the seasons of life. And I don't know if you know that as adults we have a developmental cycle. And we're processing things. And so psychologists will talk about the midlife crisis. And they'll talk about all the work that you and I are doing as part of our development and our maturity. And, and, and one of the human issues in our development is the question we ultimately ask ourselves, what difference is my life making in this world? Because that's part of what we consider the midlife crisis issue. Is my life significant? Is there a reason why I'm here? And I wanna look at this a little bit because you know I believe that you and I can become high impact people. And what I mean by that, that doesn't mean you're gonna be a celebrity. 
I think a lot of us are gonna fly under the radar. But sometimes we can do our greatest work under the radar. And what I mean by that is that if you and I come alongside of people and we're there for them, we're a high impact person. You have no idea the kind of uh, impact your life can have in the lives of other people. People are watching us. People are watching what we're doing, what we're saying, how we relate to people, and it's affecting the lives of other people. Uh, If we're simply living in this world for ourselves, I think we're gonna discover that it becomes about us, and it becomes a very small world. And my prayer today is that our worlds expand, that our lives expand, that we go outside of ourselves. Um, You know, Jesus talks about uh, that in this world, we're gonna have trials. I know that's true. We'll have trouble in this world. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. We don't have to allow the troubles and the trials and the difficulties to define who we are as human beings. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about building our lives on being obedient to the word of God so that when the trials come, that our lives are built on a solid rock and we don't fall apart. We can actually handle the trial and the storm that comes our way. And so I think it's important that we're actually listening to what Jesus is saying and building our lives. And I think that this is also true of what we call the midlife crisis, where we come to that place where we go, you know what? Uh, I don't have to go out and do crazy things in my midlife because I know who I am. I know that my life is significant. There's meaning in my life, and I'm fulfilling God's purpose and will for my life. And so using a play on words, Jesus is challenging four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These guys are partners in the fishing industry. And he gives them a new purpose for living that would give them even greater significance, eternal significance. And I think that's what we want to look at today. Uh, It's the same challenge that you and I will experience uh, as Uh, you know, we're walking with Jesus. So I'm gonna have us turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter four, verses uh, 18 to 22, just a few verses here. And for some reason, I didn't put them in a PowerPoint, but that's okay, I'll read them. And you can look them up in your Bibles. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'm gonna change your vocation. I'm gonna change what you're fishing for. I, I, you know, it's, it's great. You're, you love fishing. You love going after, you know, providing food for people, but I'm gonna actually have you catch people. This is gonna be a new calling in your life. He goes on to say here, um, at once, I think that's a very powerful statement. Immediately, in another translation, they left their nets and followed him. Can you imagine? You know, just dropping everything and following Jesus. I'm gonna talk about how dramatic that is and maybe give us a little insight of, maybe this wasn't as spontaneous as we read here in Matthew's Gospel. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called to them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So they as well changed the direction of their lives. Now, I think it's interesting. uh, While the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. You know, you ask people, are you a Christian? You know, I, I actually don't like that word a lot because you know, the initial time it's used in the book of Acts, it's used in a negative term. You know, as a, as a derisive term, you're a Christian. It was a negative thing. But I was amazed to discover that the word disciple and disciples is used nearly 300 times to describe a, a person of faith in Christ. So if you want to go by a more biblical term, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And when we say that, we have to, you know, Define, what do you mean by a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Because I think as a Christian, I feel like it's a noun. And a disciple, even though the word is a noun, I think there's some verbs that kind of describe what it means to be a disciple. And what I mean by that is simply this. A disciple in the simplest term means a follower. It means I'm following. 
I'm, it's something that's active. I'm engaged in following a person called Jesus. Uh, and that's what the early disciples were. They followed him. Another idea that is expressed in the word disciple is to be a learner. I'm learning. So it's a lifelong journey of learning. You never come to a rival. You know, oftentimes when people say, I've become a Christian, we learn a little bit of doctrine. We figure out, you know, who Jesus is. And we say, this is what I believe, therefore I'm a Christian. And then we leave it in a state of a declaration. And I think Christianity is far more than that. And I think, so what happens is if that's, if we think, oh, I, I believe the right thing, therefore I'm a Christian, therefore I have eternal life. I think we're missing the point. And I think the New Testament doesn't support that concept. I think it's far more significant than that. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish tradition, a disciple would choose his teacher. However, as just read here, Jesus is choosing his disciples. It's the very opposite. And he's still choosing his disciples. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I mean, I think that's an amazing statement. So what we need to understand is he's reached out to us. You know, you know Patty and I were having a little conversation and we were talking, that's my wife, and she said, I, I'm still amazed that Jesus chose me. You know, why me? You know, why is it that you and I have faith in God? Why is it that you and I have responded to God? Why isn't it that the more people haven't responded? There's something very significant about this concept of being filled with deep gratitude that we're called by God and we responded to that call. That should never, we should never lose that marvel at that idea. The question is, uh, is our response, you know? Are we following and continually learning? Or maybe a better question is, how closely are we following? Because the only time I see people getting in trouble is there's a gap between how close they're following to Christ and how far away they're following. And we're gonna see an example of that. When Peter was, uh, it says when he followed Jesus from afar, we found out that he started denying Jesus. And I think proximity to Christ is an important idea. How close am I? Am I following closely to Jesus? So if we're gonna have a high impact life, we need to not only follow closely, but we need to learn what Jesus wants to teach us. Because in this text that we just read, Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm gonna teach you not only to be a disciple, I'm gonna teach you how to make disciples. And by the way, that kind of picks up where I left off last week when I talked about a missional life. You and I are called by God not only to be a disciple, but to be a disciple maker. And that's, you know, maybe something that we've forgotten. You know, oh, I'm a disciple. That's great. But are you making disciples? You see, I think there's two main ideas in the Christian life. Number one, we have a great commandment. We need to love God and to love people. And the second is we have a great commission. We've been asked to do something by Christ. And if we're going to be obedient, then we need to go do it. And what is that? We're to make disciples. So not only are we to be a disciple, but we are to make disciples. But here's the good news. Jesus is going to help us make disciples. See, Jesus said, I'm going to make you disciple makers. I mean, I think that's good. That's a promise. He said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to help you in this process. So let's take a look today at this whole picture. And... Uh, we're gonna focus on two critical aspects of what I call high impact discipleship. <clears throat> because what I'm noticing, and this is really interesting, I was at a conference for one day on Monday, uh, Richard Blackaby was teaching and uh, uh, Mark Clifton was talking about what's happening in the church in North America. And uh, 4,000 churches are closing in the US every year. That's significant, folks. And the Southern Baptists, yeah, you know, they're, they're planting three to 400 churches a year, but they're also closing eight to 900 churches a year. So, no, no, that's wrong. Let me go back and say it this way. No, they're planting 1,200 churches a year, but they're closing 900 churches. So they're, they're still gaining. But, you know, the overall picture is the church is in somewhat of a state of decline in North America. And what's happening is a lot of Christians are attending church. We have church attenders, but we don't have people who understand the whole idea of discipleship and disciple making. Because that's so critical when you think about it. That's what fires you up as a believer. 
that we're involved with God wants in our lives. So I want to take a look at how we need to respond to Christ's calling in our lives to be not only a disciple, but a disciple maker. So let's take a look at this incident in Matthew chapter four. It's always fascinated me. It seems very dramatic. You know, Jesus walks along and goes, hey, follow me. And they, they leave everything and start following him. You know, how many think it's a little bit wild? But how many recognize that when you said yes to Jesus, you had no idea what you're signing up for? Anybody besides me? I had no concept. You know, I, I knew I needed Christ. I knew my life was a mess. I, I knew I needed to be forgiven. And yes, there was something inside of me being drawn by God's spirit to say yes to God. But I had no idea, first of all, how amazing this life would become, number one. But number two, how much it would actually cost me. You know, uh, it, there's a huge level of commitment that God calls you to. And I, th I think at first we don't understand it. And it's, a, it's kind of part of the journey of learning what God really requires from us. He's, he gave us everything, but yet he's gonna require everything from us. And I don't think we, we understand that initially. So let's take a look a little bit at maybe uh, what made these gentlemen, these fishermen begin to follow Jesus. Uh, and let's face it, how many know their future was never the same? I mean, when they started following Jesus, you think they had any idea where this was gonna take them? I don't think so. They didn't fully get it. And so we can appreciate that about them and we can appreciate that when we ourselves follow in their steps. You know, I remember reading this book years ago by Bill Hall, it was called Jesus Christ Disciple Maker. And he gives us five possible reasons why they did what they did. And the first one reason was simply that they had already been with him and had witnessed some incredible things previous to this moment. So Matthew is not giving us the first time they'd met Jesus, okay? Uh, Actually, he says, John's gospel brings out a little different introduction. How many know? If you read the gospel of John, you get a different picture of how they were introduced to Jesus. So they already had been introduced to Jesus. But what Jesus is calling them to in Matthew's gospel is into ministry. You know, in John's gospel, he's calling them unto himself. In Matthew's gospel, he's calling them to follow him into a life of service. And I think that's beautiful. Like we all hear a call from God to come to me, Jesus said. So we, we hear that call and we respond to it. But then there's a moment in our life where Jesus says, I want you to come and enter into ministry with me. It's an invitation. And this is, not, this is a call to every believer. This isn't just a call to you know, pastors and missionaries and those kinds of people. This is a call to every believer. He's saying, come and I want to make you a disciple maker. I want you to enter into service with me. We're all called into service. As a matter of fact, when I read Ephesians, I'm so struck with the passage that leaders, their job is to equip the saints in order for the saints to do the ministry. The ministry does not belong to the leadership of the church. It belongs to the people in the church you are all called to the ministry. And that's what I want you to hear today. You're being called by God to do service. Um, so Bill Hall says it this way, during this period, these men experienced life-changing discussions with Jesus. How many know if you have a little talk with Jesus, it's gonna change you? And uh, you know, we sing that song, it's cute, it's, it's true. How do I have a little chat with Jesus? Well, I take my Bible in the morning and I open it up and that's his side of the conversation. And I'm inter interfacing or interacting with that conversation. And as I'm reading, I'm praying that God's spirit would start speaking to me and opening my understanding so I'd get what he's saying and I'm reading along there and if I keep reading eventually something I, I, I'm absolutely captured by something there and I begin to think about things and I realize God's spirit is speaking into my soul it's a beautiful thing these guys were having discussions with Jesus he was laying down things how many know sometimes they had a hard time understanding what he was saying isn't that true sometimes Jesus says man you guys are slow you know little dull and how many here you say, I, I can relate to the disciple. Sometimes he's laying stuff down, I'm not picking it up. I don't get it, right? It's going right over top of me. But eventually there are little moments where you have kind of those, what I call epiphany moments. You go, oh, I'm getting it now. How many have ever had an epiphany moment? A little, boy, I'm, I'm starting to get this. It's really hitting me. And what is really strange, I've been, I've been a Christian now 48 years, and, and think about this, reading scripture almost every single day of my life since that point, and, and there's moments I'm going, yeah, I knew this, but now I know it in a different way. 
how many of you ever had those moments where it just seems it's just another layer is being laid on you and you're going, wow, yeah, it's, it's far more significant than I first understood this. This is way deeper than I understand it. I mean, all of a sudden, things are just coming together in a way I'd never thought of it before. He goes on to say here, they saw him perform miracles. They, they, they saw him clear the temple. They were witness to the religious leader and it, uh, Nicodemus and an immoral woman, the woman at uh, Samaria. I don't know if they had seen all of these things up until this point, but they certainly saw some things. And then he goes on, the first thing we can learn from this is that we better come to know Jesus. That's the point. The better I get to know Jesus and see how he's working in, in my life and in the lives of people around us, this fosters a greater degree of trust and willingness to follow him. How many can say, when you've had an experience with Jesus, it actually helps build on the next experience? How many say that's true? And then you know, a lot of people say, how can you have confidence in God? I'm saying, well, if you keep building experience upon experience, it, it actually strengthens you. And the longer you walk with Jesus, you just go, well, you know, he did this back there, he did that back there, he did this back there, what's this in front of me now? It's nothing, I know what he's done. You know, can you imagine the Israelites? I mean, they saw God deliver them out of Egypt. They saw the plagues, they saw the Red Sea part. You know, God starts providing food in the wilderness. It's an amazing story. And yet, how many times do we read the wilderness wanderings, they're complaining to God, like, you know, you're letting us down. (laughs) I'm going, come on, you guys. Look at all the things he did. And isn't that true? In our troubled moments, we forget the good things God did in our past. Isn't, how many say that's true? We have a tendency to forget the good things. And God wants to stir that up and remind us, look, I'm here for you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm not gonna let you down. I'm gonna take care of you. And he always does. Uh, goes on to say, we see miracles happen. The greatest, I think, is the changed life. Secondly, these men had the opportunity to go home and consider what they'd heard and seen. In other words, uh, Jesus gave them time to think about it. Before he makes his call, you know, how many, how many know that God is not pressuring you? You know, I think the enemy pressures us, but God is, you know, giving us an opportunity to respond to him. I think people make better decisions when they're given options and have the time to make solid decisions. One of the reasons I think it's wrong to pressure people, in my mind, I always think they got to live out the decision. How many say that's true? You know, I mean, you can pray with anybody. You could, you could be, you know, in a sense, counting, you know, coup or scalps. You know, you're just kind of walking around going, look how many people I've led to Christ. I'm going, what's, what's that? It means zero if those people who have prayed then don't do anything with it. Think about what I'm saying here. You've got to give people an opportunity to process what they're committing to, and it takes time for people to develop spiritually. How many, you know, like... I've actually made more than one commitment to Jesus. Anybody else besides me make more than one commitment? You've probably made many commitments. And I believe that it's almost a daily commitment. Amen? I mean, we're constantly making choices. We're constantly deciding. And I think that's important that we understand that. We need to realize that once we choose to follow Jesus, change becomes a part of our life. Excuse me. And he starts by changing us from the inside out. And how many know that's a lot more challenging? You see, because, you know, in the early, you know, when a church is legalistic, they want people to change from the outside in. That never works. They're telling you that you got to behave like this. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. How many go, that's just terrible stuff, that's legalism. You know what God wants to do? is I try to encourage people, just get into the word, get to know Jesus, and then he starts dealing with stuff on the inside, and when the changes are happening from the inside, it's powerful, because then you're really becoming changed from glory to glory. There's a transforming process beginning to happen in our lives, and it takes time for that to happen. And then, uh, you know, the conversion experience, many times we think of it, kind of, it's kind of like, you know, the caterpillar cocooning and then all of a sudden, boom, comes out as a butterfly. Isn't that a beautiful process? But so many of us, we want to help people in the cocoon. Do you know what happens if you try to help a caterpillar in the cocoon? You're going to kill it. It'll never become a butterfly. And so why, we, why do you want to help people? Because they're struggling, Pastor. Yeah, and I'm saying you've got to let them struggle. You see, struggle is a part of life. You know, I, I know we, we think, oh, we gotta help rescue. We got this rescue mentality. I gotta rescue people. I'm going, no, just let them struggle. 
You go, Pastor, that's being mean. I go, no, that's part of growing. You gotta let them struggle and develop. And what I've noticed is that, you know, God, how God changes us, listen to what happens. He, he keeps growing us because he takes us from discomfort to comfort. And just when you're getting comfortable, he goes, discomfort. You know, anybody relate to what I'm talking about? It's just the nature of our Christian journey. God goes, oh, you're comfortable? Good, I'm glad you're there, but we're gonna go to a new level of change. And change is always uncomfortable. Anybody relate? How many here say, yeah, I just love change, Pastor. I'm, I enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Some people, but... I always say it this way, people love change when they're initiating it, but nobody likes change when someone's initiating it on you. I don't like that. And sometimes God says, now it's time to change. You go, I'm not, I don't really wanna change right now. I'm really enjoying my life, thank you very much. God goes, yeah, but you gotta grow up. You know, there's a level of immaturity. It's, I gotta take you to a new level, you know? He says, the third reason why these men immediately followed Christ is that they were given an invitation rather than responsibility, come follow me, you know? They had no idea what they were gonna get into, but you know, it's true, you know, he, he, he gave them a, an opportunity to invite them. And think about the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. He goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, Jesus said, well, you keep the commandments. Yeah, you know, I've done that. Then Jesus says, sell all your riches and give it to the poor. Now, I love this story because maybe we need to pause for a minute, let's take a pause and let's unpack what he said to Jesus. He goes, I've done all the commandments. What's the greatest commandment? Love God, have no other gods before me. Jesus says, well, there's probably one in your life. It's called trusting in riches. If you can give up that, you'll probably get, be able to trust in God. But you see, he was trusting in his riches. So in a sense, he was violating the commandments. In his mind, he thought he was keeping them, but in reality, he wasn't. Jesus put his finger on the problem. You're putting your trust in the wrong things. And I'm gonna say this really as graciously as I can, but in North America, we actually trust mammon more than God. And that's actually an idol. And so if God took everything away from us, could we still trust God? We're all going, Pastor, please don't let us go down that track. I, I don't wanna lose everything. But in reality... God's, the big issue in our life is, you know, is, is can I trust God? And it says it's hard for the rich to trust God because we have a tendency when we have a lot to trust what we have. It got real quiet. <laughs> I knew that this kind of message gets to people, but it's the truth. You know, can I trust God implicitly? And let me just point out something to all of us. Everything you're acquiring and accumulating, you're gonna have to give it up anyways. Has anybody figured that out yet? Uh, you're gonna get to the last day of your life and you can't take it with you. Novel thought, I'm gonna say. But I like it up until that point, Pastor. I, yeah, I get all of that. But, but here's the thing you need to understand. We need to be thinking beyond this life. You know, we always have good financial planners saying you gotta prepare for the future. Yes, that's wisdom. But most of us don't prepare far enough. We gotta be prepared for eternity. We should be investing not only in this life, but we should be investing in the life to come. Isn't that true? So we wanna really understand the bigger picture. So here Jesus is talking to people. Boy, you know, everybody has a reason why they're not gonna follow. He says to another man, follow me, and the man says, well, let me go and bury my father. Guy probably wasn't even sick. That was an excuse, you know? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I've got a job for you to do. He goes, yeah, but I don't wanna do it. That's what he's telling Jesus. Still another said, I'm gonna follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So having called us, we need to respond to it. And when the opportunity comes our way, we need to seize it. Craig Bloomberg says it this way, when Jesus calls a person to discipleship, there's no excuse for delay or disobedience. Jesus is saying, come follow me. And that's a call that he brings to all of us. Come follow me and I'm gonna help you help other people. It's not just about you and me. Isn't this a wonderful thing that when God, it's, it's so unselfish. God says, I want you to come. I've done everything for you. Come and follow me now. And I want you to give your life away, just like I do. 
Are you willing to do this? And when you do this, he says, something wonderful is going to happen. You're going to discover the true significance of life. You're going to discover a purpose worth living. You know, it's so sad. A lot of people, they don't know why they're living. You know, fourth reason is the promise that Jesus gives. He says, you know, listen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And when you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19, read verse 20. Because he says, go into all the, the world... Go into all the nations. Go to all different ethnicities and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And verse 20, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus says, when you go, I'm going with you. You are never going alone. I will make you the fishers of people. I'm gonna do that. I am gonna help you do it. You say, yeah, but I don't always do it. You know, we, we think there's got to be a method. There's got to be. Listen, we need to just bring Jesus into the lives of others. That's it. It's very simple. You know, I can just go to people and I can talk to them and basically say this. Listen, if I'm talking to my neighbor and he's telling me there's a problem, I say, hey, listen, would you be offended if we prayed about this? I'm asking permission. They can say, yeah, I would be. Don't pray, you know. But. I've noticed over the years when I've said that, 90% of the people say that, especially if they've opened up to you and they're sharing, most of them, 90, 95% will say, yeah, I appreciate that. And I just, I pray for them right then. I bring Jesus into their lives right then. That's being a disciple maker, folks. We keep thinking, you, have, you see, we're caught up with, yeah, but if they don't come to Jesus, that's not my job, it's not your job. That's not, you see, we, we're looking for results. That's not what God's called us to do. He brings the results. He's the one who opens people's hearts. He's the one who speaks into their lives. He's the one that actually converts people. We don't do that job. That's his job. My job is just bringing a message. You know when I preach these sermons, I can go to bed at night, I can say all these things, and then it's up to you what you're gonna do with it. I've done my part. Now if I don't say it, then shame on me. But if I say what God's asking me to say, and I say it in a loving way, then it's in your court. The ball is in your court. I've, you know, we're playing basketball, I've just passed it off to you. you know? But a lot of us, we're still carrying the basketball. Who do I pass it to, right? And God's saying, throw it away. Pass it off. Put it in somebody else's court. Let it be their responsibility. You've shared what I've wanted you to share. Relax, I'll do the work. You know, somebody told me, I'm just trying to think of the story, it came to my mind here. Oh, I guess I'm not supposed to say it if I can't remember it. Let me go, number five. <laughs> the final reason they responded to Jesus' call is that he called them to a vision and not to a job. I love this. You know, when, you, when you're laboring for God, it's, it's, you know, it's as Bill Hall says, nearly anyone can hold a job, precious few can live for a dream. One of man's greatest fears is that his life will not count. And that he'll look back at his investment of time and effort only to conclude it was a waste. Listen, we have a vision that's so compelling. We have an eternal vision. You know, some people talk to me, are you gonna retire, Pastor? I go, why? <laughs> I might have to slow down. <clears throat> yeah, you know, here, here, here. I have a dream. I've, I've been captured by a vision. As long as I'm healthy and I've got energy, and I said to our elders, as long as my mind isn't going, and let me know when it is, <laughs> I'm gonna keep going, you know? Why is that? Because there's a vision driving me. I, 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 I feel compelled by God. And until that diminishes, until God changes the assignment, I'm just going, right? And that's what I'm trying to say to us. Listen, this is so compelling that we get to serve God in this capacity. This is exciting. It is exciting for God to choose to partner with human beings like you and me and that you and I can carry this wonderful presence of the living God inside of this little earthen jar called our human body. God's living inside of you. Do you realize the power that's inside of you? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That's power over death, folks. 
You have that. You are a child of God. You have that. And God is with you, and God is leading our lives, and we need to get up and say, okay, God, what are we doing today? What a way to start the morning. Hey, if there's an opportunity, I want to seize it. I don't want one opportunity to go by that I don't seize. Why not? If we start praying these kind of prayers, what do you think God's going to do? Oh, I've got somebody on alert. You know, a lot of us, we're so busy. We got our agenda. We're telling God what we're going to do. God goes, can't use that person today. They're just, they got no time for me. Come on. No amens there? Don't you, don't, don't you think that sometimes we have such a full agenda, God goes, I, I can't use that person. Look how busy they are. You know, but if we get up in the morning and say, hey, good morning, God. What are we doing today? I'm looking for every opportunity you're bringing my way. God, okay, I can use you. Yeah, but I may not, I may mess it up. See, we're always afraid. I, I may mess it up. God goes, yeah, but I'm with you. I'll even take your mess and use it for good. How's that? Yeah, I like that. You know, people's hearts are not set aflame by the mundane. People are not motivated by the prospect of building a monument to mediocrity. And I think that's true, you know. <clears throat> so, we're called to be disciple makers. I've already quoted this verse earlier. So let's go to number two here. The second critical aspect of a high impact life. Now when I talk about a high impact life, can I just say this? If you're a mom and you're discipling your kids, high impact. You have no idea what God's gonna do with these little guys. No idea. You know, you go, yeah, but I got this job and I, don't, I only got with three or four people in the office. You have no idea what's gonna happen with that life. Right. Yeah, you have no idea what God's gonna do. Story's coming back to me now. It's really a crazy story. <laughs> Can't get rid of it. <laughs> no, this guy was telling me this story. Uh, and he's a young guy, right? And so he's working, you know, in the trades. And so they're on a job and there's more than one crew there and they're having lunch. <clears throat> he's having his lunch. This guy comes over, he says, can I join you? And they say, yeah, come on. So, and this guy, he said, was his mouth was so vulgar. And he said, I wasn't even trying to win him to Christ. He says, I was just, you know, 19 and being smart. And I just finally said to him, can you taste that sandwich? The guy goes, what do you mean? He says, with all that filth in your mouth, can you taste that sandwich? <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not recommending this approach to evangelism. <laughs> it's one of the guys at our church. He was talking to me this week. So I said, well, what happened? He said, well... Nothing, I just, we went on our way. He, he got offended and walked away, obviously. <clears throat> but because he worked for a company, he said about 10 years later, he was still working for the same company and this guy pulls up and he goes, hey, pulled beside him, roll down the window. So he rolled down the window, he says, do you know about 10 years ago, I was, one of your crew was uh, working on this job site and this is what he said to me. And actually the guy that told me the story, he was sitting there and the guy that was the driver knew this and he went, He's the guy. He said, well, you know what happened? I couldn't get that out of my mind for three years. <clears throat> and God used it to convict me. And I gave my life to Christ. And I've been serving in this church over here. Yeah, it's an amazing story. You know, like he said, I wasn't even trying to do that. That's just what happened. I said, whoa. I, how many get the idea God can use just about anything to get people? <laughs> You know, if you're, you know, because I, I went fishing with, you know, I have, I have some natives that I've been fishing with. I actually worked on a reserve for four years during Bible college. And they, they, they had, this was a reserve in the Washington area, and they had fisheries. And these guys are great fishermen. This guy, such a beautiful man. You know, he worked a full-time job, but he was the pastor, a native guy. And, and once in a while, he'd take me out fishing. Man, every time I caught one, he caught three. I mean, this, this guy knew how to fish, right? Um, and why I'm saying all of that is just some people, they're just good at fishing. But they can teach you how to fish, you know. I, I don't know about you, but I don't really enjoy fishing unless I catch something. So I'm, I'm never gonna make a good fisherman. Because, you know, some people, they're just happy to go fishing. But what I'm trying to say is that th this, is, this is so important that as we're following Jesus, we're concerned about the people around us. I'm convinced that if we live a life for God and others, rather, rather than diminish us, 
it enriches us, even though there's a cost involved. Listen to what Jesus said. Then he called a crowd along with his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, here's requirement number one, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Maybe that's the hurdle we're having a problem with this morning. I gotta deny myself. But if we make that decision, say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna decide this morning, it's not gonna be about me anymore. It's gonna be about you. How many go, that's a major shift in your life. That could be like, you know, there's a word called paradigm where you've been working, you're trying to operate out of a certain way of doing life, and it's not really working that well, and then all of a sudden you, you, you kind of like jump the rails, you jump into a new track, and you start living a totally different way of living. Je Jesus is saying, listen, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be a learner of mine, you have to deny yourself. And if you're willing to do that, and you're willing to take up the cross. You're willing to go through some challenges in your life. You're willing to get uncomfortable. You're willing to allow God to, you know, to allow, to bring a little discomfort into your life so that you can bring about change and you start following him. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. How about that? You know, how many people are trying to find life and they're living for themselves and they're losing out in their soul? As a matter of fact, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your own soul? Powerful stuff. Jesus is saying, follow me. So following Jesus in this case meant a career change for these four guys. You know, Mark gives us a little insight. When he went further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his partner John in a boat preparing their nets. It's an interesting word. They were mending them, restoring them. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So these brothers, you know, they left their business to follow Jesus. They said, okay, I'm changing course. I'm changing direction. I'm changing tracks in my life to follow Jesus. And... It's amazing what happened. It was a huge life change. You wouldn't even know these people's names if they hadn't made this decision. How many say that's true? You wouldn't know who they were. They'd have just been one of the hundreds and hundreds of fishermen on the Sea of Galilee over the years. But these guys, they left everything to follow Jesus and they gained everything because they followed Jesus. And I just write, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's probably not Lord at all. Now it got real quiet. See, we, we say, we call out on the name of the Lord, but Jesus goes, you, he's only Lord if we do what he's asking. Are we, are we following here, what I'm explaining to us? Um, R.T. France says, the ready response of the fishermen here and in verse 22 indicates the authority of Jesus' summons. It was not their first meeting, but it was the first time Jesus had demanded their literally leaving home to join him in his itinerant ministry. They were asked, he was asking a lot. He said, just drop everything and come and follow me. He goes on to say, it did not involve the disposing of home and property or severing of family ties, but it would bring a complete disruption in their normal way of life. And so he goes on to say, Matthews emphasizes the extent and the readiness of this renunciation. And I think it's important. We have to ask ourselves the question, what am I willing to give up? And I, my answer is real simple. We should be willing to give up everything. You know, now it, it, he may not ask for everything, but he could. But we have to be willing. And that's a little bit of a challenge. And I think what he does is he keeps challenging us to surrender more to him. You know. And the results of this renunciation of our rights for his will is that we become more like him. And that's why I've emphasized over and over in the last little while, we gotta get out of this Whole, the society is totally caught up with rights. And Jesus laid down his rights. And I'm saying if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to lay down your rights. And when you do that, you become more like him. See, the, the, the only way we're going to win our culture is not by adversarial fighting and all the rest of it. That's not going to work. What we need to do is lay down our lives. And we need to share the gospel of love, and they need to see that it's real in their lives. And some people will embrace it, 
and others will persecute us. And we need to arm our mind like this. You know, before I went into the ministry, I, I was trying to decide, is this, you know, is this, is God telling me he wants me to do this? And I spent five days in a mountain cabin, fasting and praying and seeking God. He never once in those five days said, I'm asking you to go in the ministry. I'll tell you what he told me in those five days. He said, arm your mind and be prepared to suffer. That was his message. How, how would you like to spend five days and this is what God tells you? You go, that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for a little clarity. Uh, but by the way, it prepared me for what was about to happen. And I needed to hear that message. Because, you know, o over the course of time, when you and I willingly give ourselves to what God's calling us to, it may not always be easy. But it's the best life. You know, I tell young people, and they're going to go into ministry, I said it is at once the greatest life and the most difficult life. You'll have to die to yourself. But it is a wonderful privilege to be God's servant. But I think that's true of all of us as Christians. In time, obedient followers inevitably take on the characteristic of their leader. That's what Robert Coleman says, and I agree with him. True discipleship reaches out to where people are at. And I've run out of time. I'll just say that. Number two, why would they be willing to give up what they knew for what they saw in Jesus? You know, I, I think the reason being is just simply this. You know, nobody gives up everything unless they believe that what they're going to get is greater. How many say that's probably true? And what I want to assure you today is that if we give up everything for Jesus, Jesus says this to Peter when he said, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus says, no one has left home, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What is Jesus saying? You cannot outgive God. That's what he's telling us. If you, as much as you give up for Jesus, he goes, no, you can't outgive me. I'm gonna give you more. How's that? But he did add that little caveat. And I, I don't know why he did that, along with persecutions. I mean, it sounded good until it got to that point, but it's going to happen. And I, I said that last week. But let me, let me close with this, uh, this text of scripture here. You know what the good news is? I have a little bit of notes here, but you can always get this on my website because we do, we do put this. Yeah, this is what I want. Uh, it's interesting when Jesus sends us out, there are times in our lives we kind of like Peter. You know, Jesus kind of warned them, didn't he? You know, you got to pray, flesh is willing, spirit is weak. But he says, but Peter began to follow Jesus when Jesus was arrested at a distance. See that? And he followed him right up to the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. And so I want to close the service this morning with the question, how close are you following? And it says he, he was now no longer a participant. He moved from participation to spectating. And I always know in our lives, you know, one of the things that happens when you become a spectator, you can always do it better than the participators. Isn't that true? You know, when people do a lot of criticizing, I go, are they participating or just spectating? When I'm a pastor, when I listen to someone complain about something, I always say to myself, if they're participating, I'm listening. But if they're just spectating, I'm going, oh, it's easy to be critical. Try doing it. It's a lot harder. How many say that's true? Yeah, it is true. Let's stand. So we've raised the question today. Number one, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I following? Am I learning? How close am I following? That's a question only you can answer. I can't answer it for you, you know. But I think it's an important question. And how many here you want to say to yourself, I want to have a high impact life. So if I want that, I got to follow closely. I got to be a participant. How many see it? Is Jesus asking us to do this? 
come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Let's pray. With every head bowed, say, Lord, I hear you speaking to me this morning. Maybe some of you are following a little too far back. When Peter did that, he denied Jesus three times. That's what happens. We know for following too far away, we're gonna fail. We gotta pick it up. We gotta get a little closer to Jesus, number one. We gotta follow closely to Jesus. We gotta observe Jesus. We gotta learn from Jesus. You know, Jesus was modeling to his disciples how to live the life. Don't you think that's true? Man, talk about what a Bible college. Hanging out with Jesus 24-7 for three and a half years. Man, these guys got the most amazing college. They had God in the flesh teaching them what to do. But we can learn from him too. You and I have the pages of the book right here. Maybe this morning you're just saying, you know, Pastor, I think I've allowed a lot of things in this life to impede my discipleship. I'm, I'm letting things in the way. Is God speaking to you this morning? How many here say, I want to recommit myself to a renewed discipleship with Jesus? I want to recommit myself to following so closely that I'm becoming an effective disciple maker. Because I, I really believe that what the church is struggling in North America, I, I'm going to speak on this on, on Tuesday. I'll be in Toronto speaking to ministers. They're saying, how do you move forward after the pandemic? You know what became very evident to me? You have church attenders and then you have disciples. And Jesus is, you know, attending is good. I, I think it's great. Come and attend. But you got to do more than that. You got to become a disciple who makes a disciple. We got to become disciple makers. And when you're engaged in ministry, it changes everything. Now you've got to depend on God for all your worth because you know you can't do this by yourself. You need Jesus. I cannot pastor this church by myself. I need Jesus every single moment of every single day, and I know it. I realize it. I cannot do this apart from him. And how many here today say, you know what? I want to recommit myself. This is a, a new moment for me to commit myself to following Jesus and helping others follow him. That's you right now, raise your hand. You're gonna recommit yourself to that. I wanna pray for you. Lord, you see these hands? You see their hearts crying, their desire? I know some people are doing it, it's beautiful. But we're recommitting ourselves to it. We're getting our focus on the thing that needs to be done. And that is serve you wholeheartedly and that is to actually be a follower and a learner and to allow you to use our lives to help other people become followers and learners of you. And that's our commitment today. Empower us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave.